We're going to look this morning at maybe the most famous encounter with the Lord Jesus, that of Nicodemus. And Jesus is still in Jerusalem for the Passover, and Nicodemus comes and sees him in the middle of the night. More about Nicodemus in a moment, but the previous chapter ended by saying that many people believed in Jesus. They didn't believe in him from the heart. They just believed with uh, an easy believism because they saw the miracles that he did. But Jesus did not manifest himself to them. He didn't have an encounter, spiritual encounter with them because he knew what was in their hearts. But with Nicodemus we've got a genuine seeker and Jesus manifests himself to him. Has Jesus shown himself spiritually to you? That's what we are interested in. And in the next few chapters, and this is going to keep us occupied uh, well uh, into uh, the end of 2023, I think, Uh, Jesus has encounters with a number of people. There's Nicodemus, and then chapter 4, completely different. There's an unfaithful woman, a Samaritan woman. And then chapter 4 again, another completely different situation, a nobleman, not a Jew, a Gentile. And then chapter 5, completely different again, a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. So we're going to have a number of encounters with Jesus. But for the next few weeks, we're not going to deal with Nicodemus in one sermon. We're going to be concentrating on this famous chapter, Jesus' uh, talk with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a famous teacher. He was the teacher in Israel. Uh, He was the Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones of his day, in that sense, being uh, the most well-known, the most respected of preachers. And yet Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And in this encounter, we come across the two pillars of the Christian gospel. Without these two things, you're not a Christian. The one, which we're going to look at this morning, is the new birth. Unless you're born again, you're not a true believer. And then the second pillar is faith in Jesus Christ. And you've got one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible there, John 3, 16. So we're going to be taking a few weeks uh, to just uh, pause and be fly on the walls uh, Moths, even, because it's the middle of the night, in this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus Christ. So, if you want a verse, I like preaching on verses. I've got three to give you this morning. Verse three, I say to you, truly, truly, that's what most assuredly means, amen, amen, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or you can take verse five. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Or 
I think I'll take this verse, verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. I just want to ask and answer three questions about being born again. Why must we be born again? What is it to be born again? And how can I be born again? So let's try. I don't think we've got enough time to answer all three questions this morning, but let's try and start with the first one. Why must you and I be born again, or we're not Christians, we're not saved? Why? One of the most famous preachers, evangelists this country's ever had was George Whitfield, 18th century, and he loved preaching on the new birth. He preached on verse 7 of John chapter 3 hundreds of times, hundreds of times. And somebody, a close friend who would accompany him on his preaching, asked him once, Mr. Whitfield, why do you preach so often on the verse, you must be born again? And you know what George Whitfield said? Because you must be born again. That's good, isn't it? I've got an even better anecdote of Whitfield. He was preaching in one place, one chapel, on you must be born again, verse 7. And somebody was really offended. A religious man, really offended. And he asked Mr. Whitfield at the end of the service, do you promise me that the next time you preach in our church that you will never preach again on John 3, 7. And Whitfield said, I promise. I solemnly promise. So the next time Whitfield preached in that church, he announced his text and he said, I am going to preach from John chapter 3, verse 3. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can you see what Whitfield was doing? Even if you're offended by this, it's so important. You must, you must be born again. Jesus is a good teacher. Uh, I was a teacher for four years. Some of you were teachers for longer than that. And apparently the art of good teaching is saying the same thing in different ways. Because you've got to get something into the minds of children. And I think it's easier to teach children than it is to teach uh, a congregation. Because we're dealing with spiritual things. And the art of good teaching and preaching, possibly, is to say the same thing, but to say it in different ways. So that's what Jesus is doing with being born again. So in verse 3, he says, unless one, it's a statement of anybody, unless one is born again, he can't even enter the kingdom. He can't see even the kingdom. He can't see the kingdom. And then in verse 5, he puts it in a slightly different way. He's saying the same thing, but he uses a different analogy. Unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. And then, of course, in verse 7, he's direct. <laughs> you must. You, Nicodemus. Not a general statement. You personally must be born again. 
And that you is the reason why I'm taking verse 7. Whoever you are, you, my friend, there's no exception. Unless you're born again, unless I'm born again, I'm not even going to see the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it sad that the phrase born again has been so misused, a bit like the phrase evangelical? In the States especially, you've got a breed of Christian called born again Christian. And it depends which side you are on. <laughs> For some people, that badge, born again Christian, uh, means that they've got influence, especially in right-wing politics. For other people, it's the last thing you want This is what Jesus is saying. There are no distinctions. It's not that you got born again Christians, the really super Christians, and then you got your ordinary Christian. No. Unless you're born again, you're not a Christian. Can I get that into our minds and hearts this morning? So, take Nicodemus. Nicodemus was coming to Jesus in the middle of the night. Uh, I think it wasn't just night time physically, but it was night time spiritually for Nicodemus. He was in the dark. He was groping. The religious leaders in Jesus' day didn't realize that they needed a savior. And Nicodemus is seeking. We must give that to him. And he treats Jesus with utmost respect. And he wasn't putting this on. He was referring to him as Rabbi. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And I think Nicodemus wanted to have a good theological discussion with Jesus. Uh, when I go to ministers' conferences, it's usually in the middle of the night. We have long theological discussions. And instead of that, what does the Lord Jesus do? He cuts through all of that and he gets straight to the points and he says to Nicodemus, look, mate, you need to be born again. There's no point discussing theology with me. You need to be born again. I like that, don't you? Now, my uh, premise this morning with you is if Nicodemus needs to be born again, and Nicodemus was the uh, greatest of teachers, you need to be born again. Let, let me just go through what Nicodemus was. Well, we don't have to go far. We're told who he was. He was a Pharisee. Do you know who the Pharisees were? We tend to think of the Pharisees as those wicked uh, men, don't we? But in their day, the Pharisees were the most respectable of people in Jewish society. They were ultra-Orthodox. They were as sound as anything. The problem was they were sound asleep spiritually. And they were morally uh, so uh, exemplary. They really were. They tried keeping the commandments of God. And they thought because they'd kept them outwardly, they could add hundreds of commands. I've got one to give you this morning because it's a Sunday. The Pharisees tried to keep the Sabbath really extreme. So they would only carry as much milk on the Sabbath as they could gulp. That, that's how strict they were. Now, God didn't give that as a rule, but they wanted to go over and beyond. So Nicodemus was an exemplary man. 
the most moral of people. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. I, I don't know how you are in terms of morality. I'm guessing that because we're in a church service this morning, that we're probably fairly respectable, that outwardly we are not like the way our society is going. I say this with the utmost respect. So what? You must be born again, or you won't be saved. I think the evangelical church is in danger. of going in a direction where we are so obsessed with morality that we're forgetting it's a new heart that we need. What else was Nicodemus? He was a ruler of the Jews. What does that mean? He was a member of the Sanhedrin, 70 men that were the ruling elites. And Jesus says to him, look, it doesn't matter if you're a member of the Sanhedrin. You must be born again. I, I'm glad this church doesn't have a big seat anymore. Those of you from overseas, uh, when we were still in the denomination, what is now the platform where the communion table and the baptistry is, that used to be a big seat, literally, a set vowed. And you know who would be sitting in the big seats? It would be the Blaenoriaid, which would probably be the elders today. And I didn't like that. They've still got the big seats in some chapels. So when you're preaching, you've got uh, these men just looking at you. And when Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was preaching in liberal, respectable chapels, he said he had to preach over the big seats because those men didn't like the gospel. So I say this with the utmost respect. If we're in a position of leadership, if I'm a pastor, if I'm an elder, if I'm a deacon, if I'm a church worker, you must be born again. Or you're not really saved. And as I said at the start, Nicodemus was a teacher, not just a teacher, but the teacher in Israel. No wonder he wanted to have a proper debate with the Lord Jesus. But it doesn't matter. However great our Bible knowledge is, unless we're born again, it's useless. As somebody said, I know it's a cliche, it's a BA degree you need to enter the kingdom. Born again. Born again. So in one short sentence, do you know what Jesus does? He destroys all of Nicodemus' credentials. I like that about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what the phrase born again was used for in the New Testament? Nicodemus would have known this. If a Gentile was converted to Judaism, they were baptized and circumcised, and then they were called newborn babes and Nicodemus knew what the Lord Jesus was saying here he knew that Jesus was basically saying to him the most moral the most religious 
the most respectable, uh, the most uh, knowledgeable of men. Listen, you've got to become like a Gentile. That would have been offensive to a Jew. I remember once I was um, part of a team witnessing in the nationalised Edward in Wales. There'd be an evangelistic team going around the field, as we call it, uh, and we would be handing tracts to people. And I, I was fresh, right? I, I was only converted a few months. And I could see a bishop. I thought it was a bishop because of the robes that he was wearing. And I went up to this bishop and I gave him a tract. He did not want it. He was offended. How dare that student come to me, a bishop, and give me a tract as if I'm not a Christian? Now, this is what the Lord Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Are you offended by this truth this morning? In one sense, you should be, because it cuts across all of our distinctions. It basically tells us that in God's eyes, we are on the same level as the people out there. We're all in the same position. Do you, do you know why we must be born again? This is the most plain answer I can give. It's because we're dead. <laughs> How did Paul put it in Ephesians 2? You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. If we're dead, we're completely dead. There's no half dead. <laughs> Either you're dead or you're alive. Even if you think of a person who is in a coma, there's still life there. And where there's life, there's hope. But if a person is dead, they are dead. So just to uh, give this illustration some meaning, a person may be dead in the gutter, or a person may be dead in a palace. It doesn't matter how much morality or religiosity you may have. It doesn't matter how much influence you may have in society. You're spiritually dead. Has that dawned upon you? And because we're dead in this life, uh, death is separation. So we are separated from the life of God spiritually. We can't even lift our little finger to come to Jesus Christ. And because that's the case, we are facing physical death. What is physical death? It's the separation of the body from the soul. And if we are still in this state when we die physically, there is eternal death, which is separation from God, body and soul forever. That's why we must be born again. Uh, there was in the denomination, I don't know if some of you would have known him, a man called Abel Jones. Did he ever preach at Heath? He was a pastor and... He had a real yearning for revival. And Irville Jones uh, would attend the meetings of the denomination, like the committee meetings. And they had men a bit like Nicodemus who weren't born again. And they didn't believe the gospel. And poor Irville would get really worked up in a committee meeting. And in one meeting, uh, one of these big guns uh, was going on and on. And Irville had had enough. And do you know what he did? He got up in the meeting and he said, Dr. Reverend so-and-so, unless you're born again, you've had it. Unless you're born again, you've had it. Why? 
Why? Because unless you're born again, you've had it. You're lost. Second question. Let's try and answer this quickly. What is it to be born again? What is it to be born naturally? Did you make yourself born into this world? I, I can't remember being born. Can you? I can remember being alive a few years later playing on a tractor. That's my first memory. But I can't remember being born. And poor Nicodemus, he just doesn't get it, does he? He says, how can this be? Does one enter again into his mother's womb and be born? He's just thinking in physical terms. But Jesus isn't thinking physically, he's thinking spiritually. So just as you didn't make yourself born physically, you can't make yourself born spiritually. Some well-meaning pastors, they get it wrong, don't they? I see what they mean, but they're not right. They say, if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, then you'll be born again. But hang on, can a corpse turn? Can a dead person believe? No, it's impossible. You can't make yourself born again. So what is it? What is it? Well, Jesus in the second explanation, verse 3, he uses two words. Unless you're born of water and of the spirits. So born again, a better translation is born from above. So just as all of us have been born from below, we were born naturally, we've also got to be born a second time from above. And this is through water and the spirit. Can I say what it doesn't mean? The water here does not refer to baptismal regeneration. Now, some people, they think that everybody who believes in infant baptism holds to baptismal regeneration. That's not the case. The baptism we had last Sunday was not baptismal regeneration. People who believe in baptismal regeneration think there's something magical in the water of baptism and it makes the person, the baby, usually born again. No. Why was Jesus referring to baptism, if that's what the water here is about, if he's talking to a Jew? Nicodemus wouldn't have been aware of Christian baptism. So the water here is not the water of baptism. Jesus refers to water and spirit. So Nicodemus was a Jew. Nicodemus knew his Bible better than anybody. And he would have known Ezekiel chapter 36. It's worth reading. Let me read to you some verses from Ezekiel chapter 36. Verse 25. What is it to be born of water and of the Spirit? Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, and this is it, and put a new spirit within you. I will take away the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Water and spirit. The water in the verses in uh, Ezekiel is cleansing from sin. The Spirit, capital S, is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. God is promising to take away the heart of stone and to put a heart of flesh. God is promising new life, Holy Spirit life. That's what being born again is. Also, water can refer to the male semen. So Jesus is talking about spiritual seed. So when we're born naturally 
our parents are involved, aren't they? And when we are born spiritually, there is a spiritual seed. So our hearts, our natural dead hearts, are impregnated by the Holy Spirit so that a spiritual seed is planted. And then when we are converted, it's like uh, the giving birth. Has God given you a new heart? That's what being born again is. Have you been made alive spiritually? We're all here once born, every one of you, from Adam's seed. But have you been born second time from the Spirit? We're all here born of flesh. Are you born of the Spirit? It's not outward change. It's not turning over a new leaf. It is not just reforming our lives. It's something that happens within. Becoming a Christian is change from the inside out. Now, sometimes it takes time, doesn't it, for the outward things to change. Society today is very confused. Uh, there are all sorts of weird and wonderful views, if I can put it like that. And we shouldn't expect people who come to hear the gospel for the first time to suddenly try changing the outside. It's the heart that is changed first. It's a new principle. As one who was a better theologian than Nicodemus Thomas Chalmers put it, it's the expulsive power of a new emotion. I've got new desires. I've got new delights. I'm not perfect. It's not sinless perfection being born again. If you think you're perfect, you're already fallen. Because the moment you think you've reached sinless perfection, you're proud. It's this new principle inside of me there was a time when I didn't like these things that we're doing this morning the the preaching of the word the singing of God's praises prayer but now I find that I delight in them I'm beginning to reach my third point but let's just concentrate on what is it it's not change on the outside it's a new heart what did the prophet say the prophet said rend your hearts and not your garments what's your heart like have you got this new heart being born again doesn't change our temperament that's what the cults do that's what a coercion brainwashing does no where there's life there's spice <laughs> When the spirit is at work, it's not uniformity. Where have you got uniformity? Uh, not, I'm not thinking of a church now. Well, I am, but where do you get the most uniformity? Sometimes, uh, sad to say, you get it in churches where everybody dresses the same, where everybody uses the same pet phrases. But where do you get uniformity? Ultimately, you get uniformity in Katei Cemetery. That's, if you want uniformity, that's where you go. No change there. <laughs> where there's life, there's variety. So our personalities aren't changed, but they're transformed.
There's new life inside. And so the world looks new. After I was saved, I was saved February 1990, and we had a field trip. I was studying geography. We had a field trip to Pembrokeshire, Easter time. I'd been to Pembrokeshire before. But this time, it was like a new place. It wasn't Pembrokeshire that had changed. It was my heart that had changed. So I was seeing the world with new eyes. Can you remember that? We sang about it, didn't we? Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds even with gladder songs overflow. Flowers with deeper beauties shine. It's no longer an impersonal universe. As Rabbi Duncan was convicted before he was converted, it's no longer uh, uh, a socket with no eye in it. It's our Father's world. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We're going to come next week to look at how can I be born again. It's not turning to Christ that makes you born again, but you can't make yourself born, but you're commanded to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And actually, what does this truth make us think? It makes me think, I can't make myself a Christian. If I've got to be born again and I can't do it, then I can't make myself a Christian. And you know what? That's the best place to be. Because when you realize you can't do it, you begin to turn to somebody and to the only one who can do it, Jesus Christ. So if my sermon this morning is causing you to despair of ever doing something to save yourself, and we can sometimes think of faith and repentance as a work. If this message is causing you to come to the place where you have to say, thou must save, and thou alone, I rejoice. Because when you call then on Jesus to save you, I think you're already born again. Because it's the cry of a new life, a new babe in Jesus Christ. Well, I've got to finish there, but February the 25th was with me. I was probably born of the Spirit a few months before. The seed was planted, but you can't see it. But the new life came, as it were, to fruition. February the 25th. I even remember the place. Room 222, Pantakel Inn. Hall of Residence, named after William Williams, the hymnist, Aberystwyth. And you know what? I'd been seeking for months. I'd been trying to believe. What, what a contradiction in terms. I'd been trying to muster enough faith to believe in Jesus Christ. And the CU in Aberystwyth had just had a mission, and a number of people had been saved, and I still wasn't saved. And you know what? That afternoon, I was in despair. I got on my knees in room 222. It wasn't even a carpeted floor. There were no carpets in those days in students' halls of residence. I got on my knees and I said to my Lord, I give up. I give up. I can't do it anymore. I deserve hell and I wouldn't have a complaint against you if you sent me to hell even now. But Lord, just save me. Just save me. And that moment, 
I saw that I didn't need to do a thing to make myself right with God. Jesus Christ on the cross had done all that was needed. And I just surrendered to him. And the joy that flooded into my soul. I'll never forget that. The burden being lifted. The transport. Paul has changed it to rapture. Much better. The rapture. I am saved. And do you know what I did? I was alive. So I sang. And do you know what I sang? O'r fath newid ryfeddol a ddaeth yn o fi, daeth iesu im calon i fyw. And we're going to sing that now, but we're going to sing it in English. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Has Jesus given you a new heart? You must be born again. So it's number 102. In our supplements, number 102.
Father, we thank Thee that Jeremy and Anita, they are now in that city. And we thank Thee for saving, for making new uh, Welsh church goer and an American Buddhist. And we thank Thee, Father, uh, that whoever we are this morning, uh, that we need that same life. And we just pray for everyone here, everyone listening online, that we would know that we are born, not just once, but second time, born of God. Uh, Lord, may this church be a place where people are born again. And now may the grace, because it's all of grace, of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.